Well, hello and welcome to episode number 362 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, not one, but two aircraft land at the wrong airport. London Gatwick Airport ramp up some drop-off fees and Singapore Airlines brings out the posh seats on their 737s. In the military news this week, the F-15EX finally gets named. The Israeli Air Force debuts its new spy aircraft and Italian Eurofighter typhoons scramble to intercept a US-registered Beach King Air. So joining me this week, as always, across the village in the PTUK Master Suite studio is, of course, the master of all things slidey and tech, it's Matt Smith. <laughs> slidey and tech. I <laughs> come up with a new phrase every single time. <laughs> I know, I don't know how I do it, honestly. Yeah, I know, we're clearly that, paying ha- you too much. Yeah. How is, how is the king of radio? <laughs> uh, nervous, nervous, obviously, because obviously, uh, which we'll come to in a moment. Uh, I've got a special program to do tomorrow, which I'm a bit nervous about. So, I'm sure it'll be fine. Then. I'm sure it'll be fine. Looking forward to that. No, yeah. Nice to nice to hear you again on the airwaves. And also joining us this week across the country in his stately manner, with his smoking jacket, pipe, and Pinot Grigio in hand, is of course. Neville Bounds. Pinot Grigio? Yes, only one of those things is true. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, great to be back on the show again. Hope everybody is well. And uh, yeah, quite a busy week at work, uh, driving up and down the M4 quite a lot. So the car wonders what the heck's happened to it, because it's actually doing some mileage again. So that's good. Uh, Rather enjoyed being parked up, I dare say. uh, Well, it it did, but (laughs) cars don't like uh, being stood still, do they? A bit like aircraft. uh, But uh, no, all good. Thanks very much, Anita. And looking forward to a great show tonight. So, Nev, we had a, a, a change, didn't we, today from BA in regards to our to our flights, didn't we? Indeed, yes. Just for a change, BA have changed the flights on us. So, uh, we're going to the Malta Air Show in uh, September. We're going from Heathrow rather than Gatwick, which suits me perfectly. Whether it will suit you, Carlos, I don't know. But um, do, do we get to use the pod? Uh, well, yeah, the thing is, the Heathrow pod has been down for the whole time, yeah. actually. So whether it'll be back up and running for September remains to be seen, but is one of the most one of the favourite parts of my journey, I have to say. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, uh, 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 as, as basically a, uh, an unmanned pod is the highlight of your journey. <laughs> Just about, <laughs> yes. And actually, one of our uh, Canadian listeners, uh, Liz, I took her for a ride on the said pod a couple of years ago when she came over to Heathrow and she conceded it was her highlight of the trip to Heathrow oh. Airport as well. I mean, a small part of me thinks that doesn't say much about the flight experience, but... Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. But you've got to, get, you've got to take the wins that you can take. Well, days. of course, yes, no, fair point, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, unfortunately, this week, uh, we haven't got Armando with us uh, again this week, but it's because it's good, it's good reason, because he's busy flying and uh, obviously working hard as well, doing his job, but he has sent in some bits for us this week, which is always good, and the military as well. But, Nev, we have got a very special guest joining us this week, haven't we? We have indeed, and I'm delighted to welcome back onto the show uh, Michelle Robson from Turning Left for Less. And uh, I uh, had the pleasure of interviewing Michelle. It's now four years ago, would you believe, in August 2017. So uh, welcome, Michelle, onto the show. Thanks very much, Anita, for coming on. Thanks, Nev. I can't believe it's four years. I didn't realise that. It feels like yesterday. So it's great, well, yes. great to be back. Why did yeah. you wait so long to have me back? That's the I question. I know. It's very poor, isn't it? And if I told you uh, that in four years' time we're going to have this massive pandemic that's just going to devastate aviation, you wouldn't have believed me, would you? But uh, 
There we are. But we're going to have a chat with you in depth a little bit later on in the show. So really looking forward to that. And thanks for coming on. So big welcome to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. And uh, we've got... uh, all the usual family members in there this week. Uh, Richard Adams and Lee Davies were in really early this evening, so well done to you guys. Uh, Laura Davies as well. well. Hello to you, Laura Davies. Welcome on as well. Lane Street. It wouldn't be a show, obviously, without Lane being in the chat room. Auntie Liz is in the chat room over in Canada, so welcome to you. Uh, Richard Adams, just going to scroll through. Graham Haley. Hello to you, Graham. And scroll through, make sure that Captain Cruz, hello to you, Captain Cruz. Masha, hello to you, Masha. Welcome to you. And Pilot Pip as well has joined us over there from the Plane Safety Podcast. Welcome to you as well. And uh, Miles High, hello to you, Miles High. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to everyone for joining us this evening uh, on the show. Don't forget, if you're listening to this show as an audio podcast, which many people do, uh, and you want to join in with the YouTube fun, that is the chat room. Don't forget to check us out on uh, YouTube, Plain Talking UK. Check us out on there. Hit the subscribe button and the bell icon, uh, which is right next door to it, to be notified when we are live and recording new episodes because we'd love to have you in the chat room. So there's been some big news today here in the UK, which I'm sure many people have heard already. But Nev, uh, over to you. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Carlos. Well, very sadly, uh, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, uh, passed away today at the age of 99. And uh, our biggest condolences to the whole of the royal family. Uh, Well, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, won widespread respect for his steadfast and constant support of the Queen. It was a desperately difficult role for anyone, let alone a man who had been used to naval command and who held strong views on a wide range of subjects. Yet it was that very strength of character that enabled him to discharge his responsibilities so effectively and provide such a wholehearted support to his wife in her role as Queen. As male consort to a female sovereign, Prince Philip had no constitutional constitutional position, but no one was closer to the monarchy or of greater importance to the monarch than he was. Prince Philip of Greece was born on the 10th of June 1921 on the island of Corfu. His birth certificate shows the date as the 28th of May 1921, as Greece had not then adopted the Gregorian calendar. His father was Prince Andrew of Greece, a younger son of King George I. Uh, His mother, Princess Alice of Battenberg, was the eldest child of Prince Louis of Battenberg and sister of Earl Mountbatten of Burma. After a coup d'etat in 1922, his father was banished from Greece by a revolutionary court. He was the youngest child, the only boy in a family of sisters, and his early childhood was spent in a loving atmosphere. The prince began his education in France, but at the age of seven came to live with his Mountbatten relatives in England, where he attended a prep school in Surrey. In 1933, he was sent to the Schuler Schloss Salam in southern Germany, which was run by educational pioneer Kurt Hahn. But within months, Hahn, who was Jewish, was forced to flee Nazi persecution. Hahn moved to Scotland when he founded Gordonston School, to which the prince transferred after only two terms in Germany. Gordonston's Spartan regime, uh, with its emphasis on self-reliance, was the ideal environment for a teenage boy who, separated from his parents, felt very much on his own. 
and with war looming, Prince Philip decided on a military career. He wanted to join the Royal Air Force, but his mother's family had a seafaring tradition and he became a cadet at the Britannia Royal Naval College in Dartmouth. Whilst he was uh, delegated to escort the two young princesses, Elizabeth and Margaret, whilst King George VI and Queen Elizabeth toured the college. According to witnesses, Prince Philip showed off a great deal, but the, the meeting made a deep impression on the 13-year-old Princess Elizabeth. Philip proved quickly uh, himself as an outstanding prospect, passing out at the top of his class in January 1940 and seeing military action for the first time in the Indian Ocean. He transferred to the battleship HMS Valiant in the Mediterranean Fleet, where he was mentioned in dispatches for his part in the Battle of Cape Matapan in 1941. As the officer in charge of the ship's searchlights, he played a crucial role in this decisive night action. By October 1942, he was one of the youngest first lieutenants in the Royal Navy, serving on board the destroyer HMS Wallace. Throughout this period, he and the young Princess Elizabeth had been exchanging letters, and he was invited to stay with the royal family on a number of occasions. The relationship developed in peacetime, although there was opposition to it from some courtiers, one of whom described Prince, uh, Prince Philip as rough and ill-mannered. But the young princess was very much in love and in the summer of 1946, her suitor asked the king for his daughter's hand in marriage. However, before an engagement could be announced, the prince needed a new nationality and a family name. He renounced his Greek title and became a British citizen and took his mother's anglicised name Mountbatten. The day before the marriage ceremony, King George VI bestowed the title of His Royal Highness on Philip. The wedding took place in Westminster Abbey on the 20th of November 1947. It was, as Winston Churchill put it, a flash of colour in a grey post-war Britain. The Duke then returned to his naval career and was posted to Malta, where, for a while at least, the couple could live uh, the life of any other service family. Their son, Prince Charles, was born in Buckingham Palace in 1948 and a daughter, Princess Anne, arrived in 1950. They were later joined by Prince Andrew in 1960 and Prince Edward in 1964. On the 2nd of September 1950, he achieved the ambition of every naval officer when he was appointed to his own command on HMS Magpie. But his naval career was about to be curtailed. The worsening health of George VI meant that his daughter had to take on more royal duties and needed her husband by her side. Philip took leave from the Royal Navy in July 1951, but never returned in an active role. The Duke was not a man to carry regrets, but he did say in later life that he was sorry that he'd been unable to continue his career in the Navy. Contemporaries have said that he could, on his own merit, have risen to become First Sea Lord. Well, Prince Philip retired from public life in August 2017, as we know. So many condolences to the royal family and everybody connected with them. Thank you, Nev. That was very nice. So I hope that was a fitting tribute to Prince Philip. So um, that's uh, that's been a very uh, very moving day, I must say.
Absolutely. Well, let's move on now to our special guest. Uh, Michelle is from Turning Left for Less. And as you may remember, if you can remember four years ago, Michelle joined us on the show uh, when her blog was actually quite new, if I remember correctly, Michelle, and you were just getting going with that. Uh, four years on, it's moved on a great deal, hasn't it? So why don't you tell us a little bit about it at the moment? Thanks, Nev. So yes, uh, it was fairly new, I think, at the time we spoke. It started um, in November 2016. So yeah, it'd only be going maybe six months or so when we when we first spoke. And um, I've been very lucky since then. It's it's um, gone from strength to strength. Um, we were lucky we appeared in quite a few of the papers in 2019 when we did um, a special trip, um, which was on the Han Air private jet. Uh, which cost us something like £250 each, roughly. So uh, we uh, had had that featured in, I think, the Mail and the Sun, not the best newspapers, but still still a good good place to be featured. And that really kind of kicked things off. So, uh, yeah, we've grown to about 300,000 uh, views a month uh, at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. I've got to do some amazing things um, because of the sort of publicity we've had. I got to do British Airways A350 inaugural flight, that was pretty amazing. Paul from the blog got to do the uh, version A351 as well. So, yeah, it's, it's been a great few years. Obviously, the last year has been um, pretty tough, though. Yeah, absolutely horrific. And uh, I was just about to ask you about that. In terms of content for the last year, I'm sure you've not been short of bad news stories, but it's been difficult to find some good news stories, I would imagine, over the last 12 months. Yes, we've had a bit of a change of tactic because normally um, turning left for less is generally aimed at luxury travel for less. Um, but also we do a lot of aviation news, particularly sort of um, in terms of premium seats, routes, um, frequent flyer schemes. Uh, and in the last year, obviously, a lot of that really hasn't been of interest to people because they can't go anywhere. So I've kind of changed the uh, the format of it to be more news related. We still do offers as well because now obviously we're beginning to look like we might be able to travel again. But it's it's definitely been a focus on the ever changing uh, picture of where you can travel to, what tests you need, you know, what's what's the latest status update from British Airways? Are they going to extend it or not? So yeah, it's been quite a change of of tactic for me to try and think of ways to keep it interesting. But fortunately, the readers have stuck with me and actually. Um, some months we've had record months in terms of views. I guess people are bored. They've got nothing better to do than read, read my blog. Well, exactly. And and you hit the nail right on the head there because just today there's a new announcement about what the travel situation is going to be in the UK, or at least what we think it's going to be, because there's been movement of goalposts all over the shop. And there's been a new report out just today, I think, from uh, the Transport Committee explaining what's going to be happening. Now, you've had a chance to read through this, I, I would imagine. What What's your takeaway from it? at the moment and how do you think practically we're all going to be able to get back flying again uh, when we can this year? Well there's been a lot of anger in the industry today about uh, the Travel Task Force uh, report that they released late last night uh, and I'm not surprised to be honest because it feels to me like they're trying to discourage travel they're certainly not trying to make it easy and whilst we all recognise that of course um we have to be safe. It's all about keeping Britain safe and keeping keeping variants out that we don't want. There has to be 
you know, a balance of risk. And I think uh, they've they've lost that balance completely. So the the main takeaways today is we still don't know when we can actually travel legally. Um, they've said they, it's too early to confirm it's the 17th of May. However, they have said they will do away with permission to travel forms, which to me was a huge waste of time because basically it was a bit of paper you printed out that nobody looked at that was just pointless. Um, but that kind of hints to me that they are thinking the 17th of May. Um, and they've also said they won't reveal what countries we'll, we'll be able to visit again until early May, which is very close to the 17th of May. You're probably talking two weeks if you're lucky, um, which is quite difficult for people to plan anything. Um, and then the, the main issue with it is cost. So even if you're fully vaccinated, which I will be hopefully by the 17th of May, um, I will still going to a green country. Let's take a really extreme example. Say I was allowed to go to Australia. I'm not, but you know, some people are. Say I was allowed to go to Australia. There is zero COVID there most of the time. I could go fully vaccinated. And if I come back, I need to take a test before I get on the plane. And I then need to take another PCR test within two days of getting back, even from a zero COVID country when I have fully full vaccine. It's just utter nonsense for me. Um, and these tests are expensive. Fortunately, coming back into the UK, it sounds like you'll be able to still have a lateral flow tests, which British Airways have a great, um, great new scheme where it's £33. You get the test before you go and take it with you and you do it by video link. So it's fully approved by the government. And I think for everyone, £33 and, and 15 minutes out of your holiday in your hotel room, everyone can cope with that. But coming back, a PCR test can be anywhere from 80 up to £200. Um, and then, of course, you want to know when the test results come back. So you might want to you know, pay for express service if you're worried about it. So, you know, for the average family, you know, both of those minimum you're looking at probably is about £140. It's going to price most people out of the market. I think it is, it's quite sad. You know, some people have been waiting a long time to go and see relatives and um, it's, it's going to be very expensive. Do, do you think that's possibly part of the reason perhaps why they've gone down that route, though? Perhaps, again, as a as a sort of like a, a, a tactic, I suppose, to sort of discourage people from from travelling? Oh, I think 100 percent. I think they're, they're actively trying to discourage people from travelling. I think for several reasons. Firstly, we've all seen the queues at Heathrow. And I honestly don't think Border Force can cope with a large amount of people. I mean, I had someone I know that was there today and there was still a queue of about an hour at Terminal 2. Um, and some days it's been up to six hours. So I think until they get, there's two things they're going to do. They're going to firstly, um, obviously get rid of um, the, the um, permission to travel, but they're also going to get um, the PLF, the passenger locator form. They're going to improve that. So you can only submit it when you've actually done everything you need to do, like booking your test. Uh, which uh, why it wasn't done a year ago, I have no idea. Uh, and they're also eventually going to integrate it into the e-gates, but that's not due to happen until summer to September time. So I honestly don't think they can cope at the border. And obviously, secondly, they don't want to encourage people to go abroad and bring back COVID and potentially um, what they would call a variant of concern. And of course, this you mentioned at the beginning, this is for the green light part. I mean, there's a whole load of stuff and uh, expense to jump through if you're in the, if you're going to an amber or a red country, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, an, an amber country, I think, probably is manageable for people that work at home because you quarantine for 10 days. It's pretty much what you would do now if you're not going to red list. You quarantine for 10 days. There's two PCR tests 
on day two and eight, which currently cost £210, um, though they are looking at trying to reduce that. And then uh, you can also do test a release, which means that you can get out after five days. But of course, that's about another £100 for another PCR test. So it's it's a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, and I think the, the cost will pretty much put anyone off unless you really need to or you happen to be luckily rich enough to afford all that. Well, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and this de- definitely comes into the category of they haven't thought it through or maybe they have thought it through. And, that, and that's why it's as difficult as it is. And one of the things that uh, one of our regular contributors, uh, Captain Al, who's an Airbus uh, A320 captain, pointed out today, is that aviation and travel isn't an on-off switch. You can't suddenly switch it on and it all starts happening. There's catering, crewing, uh, aircraft out position route negotiation atc all sorts of stuff which would need to be sorted out properly before these things happen so again with with the very short period of time that you mentioned between giving the go-ahead in inverted commas and actually you know going somewhere uh there's just no time at all is there no it's, it's very difficult but i do think most of the the people i've spoken to um are um, preparing as if it's the 17th of May. So I spoke to British Airways a few weeks ago and they said they were basically retraining all the pilots because obviously they're quite rusty. They're recalling people back to work. They're setting up the catering. So they're planning for the 17th. And I know in air traffic control, which um, for people that don't know is my former occupation, they're also doing something similar with trying to get controllers into a simulator to get their skills back up. Because of course the traffic's been so quiet the last year, they're all really rusty. Yeah, and I think this is the problem, isn't it? And I've spoken to many pilots who have been flying over the last, uh, you know, couple of months, just, you know, twice a month, something like that. And they say, yeah, there's no question about it. You know, if you're not doing two or three sectors a day, it, it uh, you know, you lose the skill set. I mean, you st- you're still qualified to fly. But as with so many of these things, you know, you, you've got to make sure that your your skill set is, is up to up to scratch. In in terms of the damage that all of this is doing to the travel industry, not not just aviation, but any aspect of it, hotels, tourism, it must be enormous. And it's almost impossible to calculate how much damage has been done. It, it obviously runs into billions. When do you think, I mean, assuming everything goes okay this year, when do you think that we're going to be in a position of what I would term normal travel? Are we well into next year, do you think, before we see that? Yes, I think sadly we're well into next year. I think some countries will be particularly cautious in terms of um, lifting the 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 boundaries to entering. I mean, Far East in particular, I think will actually be worse than Australia and possibly New Zealand. Um, places like Hong Kong have still got three weeks quarantine, which just seems absolutely over the top. Um, and the, the airlines believe that it probably won't get back anywhere to normal levels until 2023 at the very earliest. I think in terms of passenger experience, we're well into probably next summer is my prediction. But even then, we might still have things like masks, um, and a lot of people are predicting that some of the cuts that hotels and airlines have made are here to stay because they now need to recoup all their losses. I know Hilton, particularly Hilton Hotels, have said that um, they've actually reduced the amount of occupancy they need to break even, and they plan to keep those cuts because uh, it will help them, uh, you know, reg- well, they believe it will help them regain um, some money over the year. But I actually think, unless all companies do that, 
there's going to be uh, an interesting gap in between uh, hotel chains, airlines, and what they do and don't have. And I think it will be a buyer's market for those that can afford to travel and go through the hoops. I actually think people will be less worried about loyalty because they'll be traveling less um, and more worried about actually what they're getting for their money. Yeah, the, the Hilton experience is, is a good one to talk about from, from my point of view, because that's normally our sort of preferred hotel chain for work. But also uh, my daughter was an account director there up until uh, last year and she got laid off with a lot of other people from Hilton as well. You know, the, the redundancies and furlough that have gone on in the hotel changes changes uh, are absolutely enormous. And again, you do wonder how they're going to get back to any kind of level. So perhaps, as you say, the uh, the Travelling pub public are going to be into, you know, premium fares in order for the uh, hotel and airline groups uh, to come back to some sort of profitability. Well, they certainly think in terms of airlines that uh, their focus will be on leisure travellers rather than business travellers. And that, of course, means that someone like British Airways is geared up wrongly because they're geared up generally for business travellers on most routes um, with high premium cabins. So, you know, in business class on some routes, they would have 70 odd seats. So uh, they now need to think differently. How are they going to attract leisure travellers? And a lot of leisure travellers will not pay the same price that a business traveller would. So they're going to have to look at a completely different strategy. And at the moment, interestingly, prices are very high for business uh, class. They've got a sale on, which has just started with some reasonable fares but nothing nothing really spectacular i think they're going to have to change that to tempt people back because when you take into account all the hassle um the extra expense of tests i think you know they, they're going to have to work a bit harder to get people back in the air yeah and thinking about the, the leisure sector we just heard this morning that jet 2 uh, aren't going to be restarting their services until the 23rd of june um at the very earliest because they've got no clarity from the government as to what the uh, what the sets of rules are yes i saw that and uh, i'm not surprised jet 2 are, are generally quite cautious with things like that um but i don't blame them i think they're also trying to make a bit of a point because at this this stage that we're now um two and a half weeks probably till we hear any more. And that's way too late for them to try and uh, then contact all their customers, tell them what's happening. We still don't know how you book this test that you have to um, have when you return. We don't know exactly how much it will be. There's lots, lots of unknown things and I can understand them being quite nervous. And they would generally have traditional holiday customers that, that are on a package trip or may not be the sort of people that are particularly comfortable with travelling you know, regularly, whereas someone like British Airways generally would have more of a regular traveller with them. So they're probably, um, you know, could afford to, to be a bit more last minute. But yeah, I can understand why. And I think that, you know, they're making a very good point to the government. You can't say we're going to let you know two weeks before. I said this morning on, on my article on the blog that basically if they want to be cautious, why not say you can travel from the 17th of May, but we can't guarantee any country will be green. Because if they if the last minute they have some some sort of nerves about opening up just make everything amber or red and it solves the problem but at least people know it's legal and they can go if they're willing to jump through the hoops whereas now nobody knows anything really 
I suppose in what, what you were you're you saying there, obviously, uh, like we're using Jet 2 as an example, of course. Uh, Jet 2 tends to be what I call like the holiday model, isn't it, where people are going away on holiday. Of course, BA perhaps tends to, I mean, yes, obviously they've got a holiday model as well, but of course they do at least have some people who are travelling for business. And of course, it, it, to a degree, um, some people are still doing that, aren't they, because restrictions aren't in place for that. So I suppose the the, the lack of clarity perhaps in for someone like Jet 2 is more crucial perhaps than to someone like BA. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think even with um, business travel, although it's allowed currently, most companies are not allowing their uh, staff to travel unless it's yeah, 100% necessary. So um, I think there's still, even for, for the rest of this year, I'm predicting that it will be more uh, leisure travel than business travel. I, I just don't think the demand's going to be there um, with business travel for quite a while because of the caution of people obviously catching it and the extra expense and potential for someone to then be quarantined for 10 days. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you think about the the damage it does to uh, the business industry and in terms of, you know, expos, exhibition, congresses, this sort of thing, you know, in, in the business that I'm in, in, in audiovisual, uh, we were going to have a very large event in Barcelona at the start of June. Now that, that, that's been pared back completely and there's more online events and, and this kind of thing. But that sort of event would normally have attracted round about 70 to 80,000 visitors from around most parts of Europe. And just think of the hotel revenue uh, the restaurant and the bar revenue especially at those sorts of events of which I have been involved with some of it um, you know again so we're, we're in not we're into serious collateral damage here aren't we not just the the hotels and, and the airlines but everything else that goes with uh, with business travel absolutely and I think people lose sight of um of how much is involved in the leisure, uh, leisure and travel and business um, industry in terms of, of tourism, um, because there's around 3 million people in the UK that are actually employed in some aspect of travel. And I think people forget that. They just think it's, oh, it's airline employees and hotels, but it's not. It's all the people that supply them. It's people, like you say, with the conferences, the events, all the people involved in those. It's, it's a massive industry and it's, it's hurting so many people. Um, it's interesting that, in fact, in America, they now seem to be getting ahead with events like that. Looking at Vegas at the moment, they seem to be uh, looking at opening up pretty much fully from May onwards. Um, and I suspect we'll start seeing conferences back. I know they're trialing a few things in California as well with um, meetings and events. And I think uh, we now need to start looking at doing the same here. If we've got all these lateral flow tests that they're now saying everyone can have two a week, why not use them to be able to do these events? And you test every day that you attend the event. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do it safely, I think, especially as more and more people are vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about that leisure sector again. Of course, if you think about, you know, the Mediterranean countries, uh, Balearic Islands, uh, Greece, uh, Cyprus, Malta, all, all these sorts of places, they rely heavily on British and German tourists and, and others, uh, you know, ar around Europe. And if you think about how devastating that is going to be without uh, the revenue coming in for those sorts of places, and some of those hotels are quite small, uh, and the B&Bs, you know, they, the country relies heavily on that sector. How are they going to survive through to next year, do you think? I think it's it's a very interesting position that they're in because most of the major European countries that would normally welcome 
um, a lot of tourists, especially from Britain, are actually saying that they want to this summer. A lot of them are saying from the 17th of May onwards, they'll accept people whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, but there seems to be something happening actually in a lot of destinations. And Barbados is a very good example of this, where there's actually an anti-tourist backlash um, from people obviously not involved in tourism um, because they kind of view that that we're going to bring this plague of COVID to to their um their country. I mean, if you look at what happened in Barbados, they actually had an outbreak. They had virtually no cases all summer. And then sadly, towards Christmas, they had a massive outbreak. And they still don't know how it happened. But let's face it, it will be somebody coming in from abroad that's that's done that. And uh, today, one of my readers was saying in Portugal, there's a real fear of, of tourists coming back because they, they view that there's going to be a massive um, explosion of cases which I think is probably very pessimistic when you look at the vaccination rates and the fact that testing seems to be um, required for most countries. I think there's a way to do it safely. Yeah, exactly. Well, Carlos is looking very smug uh, sitting in his uh, 1A position there, uh, which is obviously normally reserved for me. I don't know how we've managed to get that seat. But, uh, um, so should we have a quick look at the chat room, see if we've got any questions in, in the chat room for... Uh, We've got a comment from Richard Adams, actually. Uh, Carlos, if you want to take that. Yeah, Richard says, uh, maybe I'm missing something, but what countries have a good vaccina uh, vaccination rate and steadily reducing cases at the moment? Not sure I'd want to go anywhere, he says. Mm. Mm, very good. Yeah. I was actually, I was gonna, question I was going to ask, Michelle, was um, with, with obviously what's gone on over the last... 12, 13 months. I've lost count now. It's been so long. Um, and the airlines have lost so much money uh, over the course of this time and obviously layoffs and, you know, and everything. Do, do you think that when things start to return to some kind of normality after June or whenever things get reduced, um, do you think the airlines will try and recoup some of their losses by uh, increasing fares or do you think that would be a silly idea for the airlines to do or do you think the airlines will gradually increase the fares to try and recoup some of what they've lost over the last 12 months I, th I think it's a really interesting question that actually even airline ceos don't agree on so um the qatar ceo recently was quoted as saying that he thought prices would stay low but then that's their business model is generally trying to push low business class fares whereas other people view that it will stay high a lot of industry experts think that that fares will stay high because there's less routes um and they need to recoup their losses i think it it will go pretty much how it is at the moment where there'll be periods where there's good sales but in between prices will stay quite high um so i think i think it's going to be a real mixed bag and my advice is if you see a good fare then get it don't hesitate because at the moment, they're just all over the place. So who knows what, what's going to happen? You can't look at what our traditional sort of patterns are. And I think just going back to the question quickly in terms of countries. So there, were, there was an article, if you want to have a look on Turning Left Less, there's an article there about the 12 countries that are predicted to potentially be on the green list. I think there's still a lot of um, unknowns in it because, for example, the US is one of those. At the moment, we're not allowed in the US unless you've got a US passport or certain visas. Um, but they do have a very high vaccination rate. Cases have been falling, but unfortunately in the last week or so, they've started to pick up again in some areas. So it just depends on how much they're focused on um, a particular area. Um, and other ones include Portugal, not particularly high vaccine rate, but really good cases. Spain's also doing all right with cases. Um, Malta is another one. And 
Uh, one of the best ones is Gibraltar because they've nearly vaccinated the entire country, but it's only very tiny and there's not a huge choice of accommodation there. And currently we're not allowed in. But yeah, there's actually about 12 countries. Um, Caribbean also looks good. However, Barbados have just announced their new protocols and what they what they think they will be from May. Uh, and sadly, is still even fully vaccinated. You're still going to have to have two tests, one before departure, one the day after you arrive, and then be in quarantine until you get uh, your results. So I can't see many people rushing to do that. I, I was actually booked to go in June, and I'm probably going to move it now because the thought of two tests on the way out and then another two on the way back and losing two days of holiday in a hotel room. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to bother with that. Over the, over the course of the you know, the last few months, uh, Michelle, we've, we've been talking on the show about a lot of airlines that have brought in a, a, pre, a new premium product, a premium economy product. Obviously, Emirates have, have started the rollout of their premium product. And I think, I forget which airline it was now, if we chatted about it a few weeks ago, that we're going to have the all premium economy um, layout inside. I forget the name of the airline now, but there was one. Do you think this is something that the airlines are going to start to do more? More airlines are going to kind of increase the premium economy kind of thing because it does appeal to a lot of people and they are making it more affordable for people to for an extra few quid to upgrade from economy to premium yeah i think it's um only a matter of time before all airlines have premium economy because it is that that kind of sweet spot between uh economy which most leisure travelers would generally go economy and business class which most leisure travelers can't afford um, and in fact, even a lot of companies now are for on shorter sort of like under eight hours flights are saying the most you can have is premium economy. So uh, I think there's a, there's a good demand there. They make a good profit on premium economy um, versus economy seats. So it, it's worth it when you look at the amount of seats they've got in there. It's not it's not that much less than they've got in an economy row. So actually, you know, there's a good a good uh, profit to be made there and it's it's affordable for quite a large amount of people so yeah i think it's it's probably the way forward for business and leisure travelers but personally i'll be sticking in business and class <laughs> as long as they don't put the prices up too much <laughs> yeah now i'll tell you what uh, has been very interesting um i think that the way i mean the last flight i went on to was to gibraltar actually in november of last year for my birthday and once again the ba crew were absolutely fantastic you know dealing with some really difficult situations from time to time the check-in was great uh, the lounge was brilliant and all the rest of it but i was just sparing a thought for the poor folks in the call centers because they're having to change people's flights left right and center i actually got the stage uh, when i was booking my flight to malta for september for the air show that carlos and i are going to and i phoned them up and the lady on the other end of the phone was absolutely superb she said i'm terribly sorry mr bounds we've now changed this flight five times for you and that's absolutely fine. But I cannot actually track back, you know, what the real value of it was. And what, there was an Avios upgrade here or a business class upgrade there. So it's terribly complicated for the airlines to deal with all this. And of course, they, they've had no systems in place to, to do this kind of stuff. And obviously doing doing it online is very haphazard and it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I think all of their IT and all, all, all the backroom systems have been put under real strain but also the people actually involved at the call centers must be tearing their hair out i would imagine yes it's been very hard i think people um understandably have been upset when they haven't got their refund straight away or they've struggled to get through but they have to understand you know that the call centers were never set up to uh, handle that 
that amount of refunds. I mean, some of them, I think, were in the billions that they refunded. So it's not surprising they've struggled. But I think um, pretty much all the airlines I've dealt with recently, Virgin, uh, BA, Qatar, have actually upped their game. And I'm managing to get through fine. If there's a big announcement about something, sometimes you get a bit of a peak. But generally, I'm getting through okay. I think uh, they, they have some good policies. I mean, Qatar's got a really good policy now that for any uh, reason you can't travel due to covid like restrictions or whatever, until the end of the year, you can get a full cash refund, which I think is a really great offer. Uh, BA have now um, been a bit better with their refunds because before you couldn't get one online, now you can do that online. It's, it's a bit bit hidden, but you can find it. Uh, and also they're now doing a lot more e-vouchers, which is good so that you can use it online rather than phoning up because I could never understand why they would do that other than maybe in the hope that you wouldn't, you'd forget about it and because you couldn't get through and they'd keep the money. I don't know, but... But, yeah, that wasn't a particularly successful idea. But, yeah, they just didn't have the systems in place. That's the problem. And now, of course, when it's all coming to an end, they, they've caught up. Well, yeah, and I was just thinking that, you know, the, the key thing for them is to keep the cash within the airline. You know, they do not want to be giving refunds if they can possibly avoid it. Um, uh, and, you know, that just makes it really, really challenging for them, doesn't it? I think one of the things that's been uh, very obvious in, in the last six months or so, at least, and maybe longer than that, is that the uh, the, the desire, the passion for travelling is still there, thank goodness. And although these lockdowns have been very challenging, uh, there's no doubt about it that people want to get back out and traveling but my sort of final question to you for the moment was with all the airline failures that we had before the pandemic and we can list them you know there's three or four major ones we can think of i'm just a bit concerned about the current crop of airlines are they going to be able to survive this period of low revenue for for any length of time at all do you think no, I, th- I think there's definitely an issue there. I mean, the one I'd be most concerned about is Virgin Atlantic because uh, they restructured recently and and uh, got some new finance. But the problem with them is that, that they have such a limited route structure. Um, I think it's something around 70% of their routes are the US. And if the US doesn't open up soon uh, or it opens up with a lot of restrictions similar to what the UK have, then, um, then I think they're really going to struggle because I can't see... Um, even with it open, that it will get anywhere back to where it was before. I think in terms of British Airways, they will probably um, be absolutely fine. I know they recently did a little bit more financing, but they look pretty strong position for me. Um, and I think with their route network, they will they will have a, they've got enough breadth that actually they will manage um, to get through it. They're probably yeah the one I'm least concerned about. I think in terms of the low cost airlines, if Europe doesn't open up, which is what's predicted potentially with the third wave in Europe then I think there might be a bit of trouble there they've they've done reasonably well up until now because last year when things lifted most people went to Europe they didn't go long haul whereas now I think this summer we could be in the opposite position where most people um, want to go long haul because that's the countries that are open and and that seem safe so uh, it it could be an interesting one for the likes of EasyJet and Ryanair I think it's it's all all playful once we get that crucial announcement at the beginning of May about what are going to be the green countries, but not many in Europe is my prediction. Oh dear, it's a bit of a lottery, isn't it? So, uh, Carlos, have you got any uh, sort of final thoughts on uh, any of this? Well, I was going to ch- sort of move away from the uh, the whole pandemic side of things, actually, <laughs> just just for a moment, just so we yes. can get, get to something a bit more uh, cheery. <laughs> cheery, <laughs> there we go, cheery, yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I was going to say this is more more of a kind of a, a slight dig at Nev because we all know oh, what uh, Nev loves. But Michelle, when you when you were uh, when you obviously before this all started and stuff, and you were flying and uh, Virgin and BA, um, who, who do you think offers the the, the best oh, no. products, <laughs> BA or Virgin? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, so which one does Nev like? What's what's the what's the uh, what's the joke there that I don't know? I, I am a bit of a BA uh, chap, I have to say. Uh, I was going to say snob, but perhaps yeah, not. Possibly, <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, go on. Then. So uh, yes, I, I did think it was probably BA from what I've seen of, of um, Nev's travels before, but um, I actually say there's probably not really one out of the two of them that I think is better than the other. It was interesting. I interviewed Andy Peters, the TV presenter recently. We were kind of making up our, our perfect business class and it was kind of bits from everywhere. And I think it's it's a bit like that with BA and Virgin. For me, I love the Virgin Lounge, the clubhouse that Heathrow for me is one of the best business class lounges in the world. You've got, you know, your hair salon, your beauty salon, fantastic cocktails. Uh, it's all table service, great food. You know, it's a really, really good lounge. I think the BA lounge is a bit pedestrian um, in comparison. Huh? Whereas I think um, the new BA seats, the club suite, actually I think are better than Virgin. Having flown both, the Virgin one looks great, but it's actually not very practical. Hasn't got much storage space. It's not particularly comfortable. And then they've had the big issue with the tables. Um, so I think BA kind of won on the new seats. Uh, Crew-wise, I find BA very hit and miss. I find, uh, yeah, you can have the most amazing crew, or as uh, as someone said to me once, you know, if if, if the crew are having a bad day, then you're going to have a bad flight. <laughs> Whereas on Virgin, I find them very consistent. I've maybe only had one flight where they weren't absolutely excellent, and then they were still good. Um, Food-wise, actually, I think Virgin have the edge. Certainly at the moment, um, when I flew back from Barbados with them. Um, it was close to normal. It was all on one tray, but the, the food was really good. And they have the little quirks like the um, the afternoon tea, which you get in all cabins. I think that's a really nice little touch that you don't get so much on BA. So I think, I think Virgin's kind of ahead on that. But on the hard products, I'd probably go British Airways. Um, so, and on actually going back to the pandemic, on the refund side, I'd go for British Airways as well. There's more options with them, I think, with the vouchers. They can get a sort of refund. But, yeah, they're both they're both very good. I I hold status in both, and I fly both. So. I'm it, just thinking, uh, just one, the last thing I was going to say was that uh, when we last spoke in August 2017, that the two subjects that we were speaking about most was the uh, onboard uh, buying of M&S food in economy on British Airways and the ultra long haul service uh, that Qantas were launching from Perth to Heathrow. Um, both of those subjects seem an awful long way away now, don't they? Well, I don't know. There's actually been some news on, on both sides of it. I mean, the Qantas one is interesting because I actually think when when and if they open Australia, which they're saying now might be October um, to certain countries, not not universally, but I think the UK has got a very good chance. Um, some, something like the, the non-stop flights actually will be really, really popular because people don't want the hassle of going through a third country until things are back to normal. People want to go the most direct route with no stop off. So they don't have to worry about is is Dubai going to go back on the red list? You know, is there going to be are they going to shut their borders even for, you know, transferring passengers? So I think, you know, the the, the project Sunrise, they're going to Sydney might actually get bought, bought forward. You never know. Um, yeah. And then the M&S food 
So they recently announced that they're actually um, now going back to giving a free bottle of water and a free snack. So basically what they're doing now, but that's going to be permanent. Well, as permanent as any decision on an airline is. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a good touch. Sean Doyle, the new CEO of British Airways, I was expecting him to be more customer facing. Um, his experience at Aer Lingus, he was like one of the first uh, airlines to bring in free Wi-Fi, um, which we didn't see elsewhere. So I think he's, he's always been very much focused on what customers want, as well as making a profit. I mean, Aer Lingus was one of the most profitable airlines in the IAG. So he's, he's done a good job. And um, yeah, I think it, he'll be looking for more things like that. You still have MS Fire on board, but at least you get Actually, Michelle, I got I got one last question, but um, Nev's got a question for you from the chat room from one of our listeners, Lee Davies. But um, I was just going to actually thinking about um, all the all of the kind of travel options that people have nowadays and stuff with long haul and short haul and stuff. Do you do you think that going forward to the future now? with everything hopefully opening up and stuff, that we're going to see more and more people opting to stick within flights to Europe and kind of the, the long haul will not be quite as popular as it, as it was pre-pandemic? I actually think it's going to be the opposite potentially mm. because long haul prices are actually very reasonable um, and in, ter- in terms of economy anyway. And I think with more places long haul opening up, um, as we said, probably the US, Caribbean for a start, Thailand's talking about opening up. I think people without their traditional holiday places in Europe being available will actually start looking at being a bit more adventurous. And if they go to some of these amazing places, they might actually decide to keep going and think perhaps my week in Benidorm wasn't so good after all. So <laughs> I, I think we actually could see the opposite and people being more adventurous. If, if nothing else, the pandemic's kind of given us all all a thought of, well, things that you take for granted might not be there forever. So, you know, get out and, and do it when you can. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Nev. In the chat room, Lee Davis asks, what's your preference, uh, 787 or A350? Well, there's there's an interesting debate. Can I I throw something else into the mix there? Because I've recently sort of heard rumours that the A380 may well still be making an appearance as far as BA is concerned. So perhaps we could throw the A380 into that as well. Oh, now you make it really, really challenging. Um, So... I would say I love the A380 because it's to me it's kind of the closest thing to the 747, which sadly looks like won't be flying that again unless I go on Lufthansa. Um, I love I love the double decker. It's just just every time I see it, I always get surprised by how large it is, and the fact it can actually take off still seems like a miracle to me. So I do I do really enjoy the A380, and obviously in business class on some airlines like Qatar, Emirates, you get the bar on board on the A380 or the showers. Uh, which are all amazing experiences. So I kind of like the A380 for that. Um, if it was between the 787 and the A350, I'm afraid I'm Airbus on that one um, for a really stupid reason <laughs> in that I hate the windows on the 787. Oh. Those dimming windows. <laughs> <I did>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, yes, they look great and they're great for a bit of a, you know, play. You go, wow, isn't that clever? Until you're actually on a day flight with the sun on your side of the plane. And if you've got the older windows, I know they've, that some of the new ones are a bit better, then the, the sun's still coming through, and you're like, what's the point? You could have just had a blind. <laughs> so I prefer the A350 for that. And I think the onboard atmosphere in terms of, like, humidity and, and the uh, pressurisation is marginally better on the A350 as well. So, yeah, mm. I, I prefer the A350. And I like the kind of mask look of the front of it. Um, Doro, yes. 
So we had a great we had a great flight to uh, Dubai, didn't we? On uh, yes, we did, the yeah. uh, BA's A three fifty one thousand to the Dubai Air Show. It was only three weeks old at the time. We still had that that new plane smell, didn't it? <laughs> Is it does that still involve a magic tree like it does in the car? Yeah, no, not no. quite. No, not right. quite. Okay. But, uh, no. <laughs> It was a nice place to be, and the crew very kindly uh, let us uh, sit up at the front when they shut down at the end of the flight. So that was oh, was nice! Cool, so it was nice to see that. Indeed. And then, of I... course, on the way back, it was our very last flight ever on the seven four seven four hundred. We didn't know that at the time. No, <laughs> but it was. No, uh, indeed. And we, we spent uh, half an hour. Well, yes, nearly half an hour in the cockpit there on the way back and we spent so long there that uh, the crew had to radio the gate because uh, they had uh, taken uh, every, all the services away from oh, the no. aircraft including uh, <laughs> the boarding ah. finger itself and uh, so they had to get somebody back on to get us off the aircraft. Oops. Oh dear. That was uh, a great, that's a bit of a whoops. Uh, actually uh, two more uh, very quick questions if, if we may. One from uh, our main man Mike who says do you think post pandemic that service will again decline on, with another big race to the bottom uh, we can see the service declining already but what do you think you'll see long term um i actually don't think that will happen personally i think because of some of the reasons i've spoken about for a start sean doyle as the ceo of british airways is a very different um person to alex cruz previously and the fact willie walsh has gone as well uh, which is not the best combination with alex cruz i think very different mindset of British Airways now, much more about customer experience. And I think Virgin are keeping them on their toes. Virgin have really focused very heavily on customer loyalty and their onboard products throughout the pandemic. Um, they were one of the first to bring back the full service on board. Uh, and they've kind of been giving BA a run for their money. So I think, actually, we will probably not see a decline. Um, British Airways have a plan to go back to the full onboard service. That's actually in their plans. We don't know when, but I would suspect probably when we get to the point where masks aren't required anymore because obviously it's all about um keeping people safe they've got almost back to normal just on one tray service but everything else is pretty much as it was before so uh, we always have one question that we ask like our pilots and everything like which is essentially along the lines of what is uh if if in history, if money was no object, um, what is the one plane that you would most love to be a pilot of or fly or or have an experience of? I'm going to flip that slightly for you. I would love to know what experience would you love to have as in terms of your turning left? What experience have you not had that you would most love to have? Well, there's a couple of things that I'm not going to ever get to do, but that I would have liked to have done. So uh, I never got to fly on Concorde. I stood on it as it was being towed around Heathrow. That was as close as I ever got to it, sadly. Um, so I never, never got to do that. I would have loved to do that. I think to go supersonic um, would be amazing. I mean, I might still with Boom, you know, that might the, the new supersonic aircraft might happen. But um, I'm not terribly hopeful in the current climate. Um, and then I also something else that probably won't happen is the residence on um, yeah Etihad, oh, well, the yeah, oh, Etihad. Etihad yeah, yeah right. their A380 because they're now going to retire the A380s and I believe they're not coming back so it's a great shame because uh, again I've seen it in, as a mock-up but I've never actually flown it I mean it's hugely expensive but it was kind of on the on the bucket list to do fortunately I got to do the first class apartment which is still extremely good but I mean that's that's terrible sad loss to to have that because that was one of the best um hard products for the first class in the sky i think so um yeah i was glad to got i got to do that now wow 
Wow, that's fair enough. Well, uh, thank you so very much for, for joining us, Michelle. Uh, can you just uh, give your social media a bit of a plug? How can everybody get in touch with you and, and follow you? Um, so the, the main thing is the website, which you'll see in the link, www.turningleftforless.com. And we also have uh, Instagram, Facebook and uh, Twitter, all at Turning Left for Less or Turning Left For on Twitter. So you can find us on all of those and, and come and say hello. Nev. Absolutely brilliant, uh, Michelle. Thank you very much indeed. And I promise we are not going to leave it four years next time Absolutely before not. we speak to you, because I think we're going to have a lot to talk about uh, as we go through 2021. I'm absolutely sure of that. So uh, once again, thank you for your time and your encyclopedic knowledge of all the things that are going on at the moment. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks. Okay, what we'll do then uh, is we'll move straight on to the commercial news. And uh, if everybody's ready, let's Let's go. go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the executivetraveler.com and the headline Singapore Airlines new 737 business class. So Singaporean flag carrier Singapore Airlines has begun to take over the fleet and routes of regional sibling Silk Air, which will be wound down over the coming 12 months. Nine of Silk Air's Boeing 737-800 jets are being redressed in the familiar Singapore Airlines livery flown by Singapore Airlines crew and now offer very much a premium Singapore Airlines experience. The 12 business class seats uh, have been recovered with fresh upholstery and present themselves with familiar touches like those compact pillows seen in Singapore Airlines long-range business class. Business class passengers are also provided with a tablet for wirelessly connecting to the onboard Chris World Air uh, Entertainment System uh, through their own device. Uh, You can all do otherwise as well. So experienced business traveller Martin Memo shared with ET his experience of a recent flight. He said, while he initially expected this to be more like a rebrand, it was a Singapore Airlines flight like one of their regional flights to Manila or Hong Kong and not a Silk Air flight, he said. The Star Alliance member will also take up Silk Air's order for the Boeing 737 MAX, which will swap today's business class recliners for fully lie-flat seats using Thompson Aero's popular Vantage design. With staggered rows of forward-facing seats, most passengers will have direct aisle access, while there'll also be four throne seats, giving solo flyers more privacy as well as more room to spread out and get down to work. The move is intended to provide Singapore Airlines business class passengers with 100% consistency in their premium experience. Offering a business class bed on a relatively short regional flight is also intended to one-up Asian competitor Cathay Pacific, which has settled for a business class recliner on its regional Airbus A321 Neojets. Now, I must say, I saw the pictures of these uh, particular seats online, and they do look incredibly comfy. And I do like the colour they've chosen as well with Singapore. Very, um, very, very executive corporate, I would say. How, how do we feel about losing losing the um, 
the sort of losing the cut because those seats do look incredibly comfortable don't they mm. uh, I mean how do we feel about I mean I've never had the pleasure and perhaps while we've still got uh, Michelle here um, maybe it's just worth I mean which would you prefer would you prefer like a complete lie flat bed or, or do those very comfy like armchair seats still appeal I think it just it it depends on um, what type of flight it is. So if it was an overnight flight, then obviously you're going to want a lie flat bed. If it's a daytime flight and I want to work, then actually I quite like the old sort of bucket seats. Yeah. I think they used to be called. Um, <laughs> they're they're actually sometimes better for sitting than a lie flat bed, which is not always as good for actual sitting up and working. So, um, but I think personally, I would still probably go for like the Cafe Pacific. Um, their regional business class, they actually generally use the live flatbeds on most of the ones I've done that have been sort of two, three hours. We've actually had live flat seats. So that would probably get my my vote rather than um, Singapore in case you did want to put your, your feet up properly. <laughs> what about you, Nev? I mean, because you, obviously you've flown for both work and for sort of pleasure. I mean, what where where would you sort of sit in, in this? Yeah, as Michelle said, it's all about the route, really, isn't it? And also the time of day. I think it very much depends on whether you've got some work to do or whether it's an overnight flight. But I think it's an interesting angle on it, certainly. And I think that in order to... Um, make uh, airline flying attractive again with all the problems that we've got i think anyone that's looking at new and innovative uh, ideas uh, it's got to be a good thing so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how this uh, turns out indeed indeed okay well, we'll just move. think how bizarre it is to see a 737 paint in singapore airlines towers. <laughs> it's <not> so weird <laughs> anyway matt yes. moving on you you've got a Ryanair story yes well of course story number two is usually a Ryanair story and uh, it's fair to say that the content isn't disappointing shall we say uh, and uh, the headline is furious Brits turned away by Ryanair flight uh, to Spain amid travel confusion caused by Brexit and Covid oh that's my two favorite subjects all together in one isn't that exciting <sighs> Do you remember when we just had to worry about Brexit? <sighs> anyway, sorry. You've done, you've done well to uh, combine both subjects <laughs> in one story. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll 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 doff our cap to John on that one. I think. Anyway, Brits were reportedly turned away from boarding a Ryanair flight from Manchester to Spain amid changes to rules because of COVID and Brexit. So John Kerry, I don't, presumably not that John Kerry, uh, fifty claimed Ryanair staff were rude and abrupt. The treatment of travellers was deplorable, and the situation was a total disgrace. The Mirror reports, and one retired IT worker claims uh, airline staff refused to let him and six others board the plane to Alicante due to Ryanair staff making the arbitrary decision to deny their passengers travel on behalf of the Spanish authorities. Uh, the traveller named only as Alec told the Olive Press, oh dear, uh, that he was turned away at the gate on Monday because he and others did not have a post-Brexit tie. Now, I'm not really sure what that means, so it's... Uh, it's TIE, but uh, and, and uh, John, John has very, very kindly written what that actually means. But I'm afraid I'm not good at. <laughs> right. Okay. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> it's a shame the audience couldn't hear that. Uh, anyway, I think what we learned from that, John doesn't know either. Anyway, uh, so basically, it's a biometric card. I think John was saying in our ear that it's a mm. uh, basically your your way of travelling uh, in Europe post Brexit. I think is. Uh, I, Oh, just for British residents going into Europe. And it's a new biometric card, uh, biometric card uh, issued to the British residents 
in Spain since July last year. So Alex said uh, that he checked the UK government's latest guidance, which stated that his buying a, pro uh, a property on the Costa Blanca was one of the reasonable excuses for travel to Spain under COVID lockdown rules. In such a scenario, travellers are advised by the UK government to show evidence such as proof of a contract, a letter or appointment details from an estate agent or a relevant contract or letters detailing sales. Mr Carey, who is a property owner in Spain, was travelling to see his sons aged six and eight for the Easter Monday. He showed proof that his Thai card application has been accepted but was turned away after he mistakenly showed an out-of-date COVID test. Uh, he said he looked through his bag for a valid one, but then he returned to the gate. But when he returned to the gate, uh, he, he was told it was shut and that he would not be able to board. Uh, last week, Spain lifted its outright travel ban on people flying in from Britain for Spanish citizens, uh, those with proof of residency in Spain, or those who can prove their travel is essential. But it was reported that some Britons were refused entry to. Spain Spain at Alicante's airport last week and was sent back to the UK by border staff. It comes amid confusion over travel rules uh, during the COVID pandemic and following Brexit. It is illegal to travel abroad uh, from the UK for holidays, but there is a handful of reasonable excuses, including work, education and the buying of property. UK nationals are now UK nationals are now the th uh, third country nationals because of Brexit and no longer have freedom of movement. A passenger said that given that there is so many Britons uh, having uh, having to be flown back at the airline's expense, I wonder if this was merely a cost-cutting exercise for Ryanair. I, I mean, whilst I, I, I'm to a degree sympathetic here, uh, one thing that has sort of sort of piqued my interest should I say is the element of the fact that he presented to the gate an out-of-date test Covid test card and was unable to produce proof that he had a valid one until after the gate had closed mm. am I being unreasonable here <laughs> I, 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 I feel like Ryanair who, you know who I'm the first to bash I should point out <laughs> um, are perhaps getting a bit of an, an, an unfair hearing here um, I never thought I'd ever hear you say those. I know, I know. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> are you a, are you a, a fan of uh, Ryan Air, Michelle? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever actually have you ever actually fl have you ever flown with Ryan Air? I have. I've flown them at least I think three times. I flew them at the very beginning when they first started. And they took me to Venice, to some place that was about an hour away from Venice. Um, <laughs> that hasn't I, changed, I believe. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and they weren't too bad in those days. And then I did a work trip with them. And then there was once when I got stranded in, I think it was Spain, because there was um, a strike. And I was flying Flybe, or Fly Maybe, as they were. Uh, and they wouldn't put on an extra flight to bring us home. So I flew flew home with Ryan there just, just for... Um, the sake of getting home, but did, I vowed at that point I would never ever fly them again. Did, did you pay the, pay the extra and have that all important extra leg room seat? <laughs> it probably didn't exist then. <laughs> um, I think. Well, I think I probably did actually. I, I, if ever I fly on anything like that, I do pay for all the extras. But yeah, right. I hate Ryanair with the passion from the horrible yellow plastic <laughs> things and the announcements, and I particularly hate Michael O'Leary, and I refuse to give him a penny of my money. 
Um, so yeah, no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think you know, if someone's got an out of date test, what do they expect? But interestingly, the the problems with Spanish um, residents has been going on for a couple of weeks now. It's not just Ryanair. I think there was a British Airways flight as well. There was some confusion. So it's it's uh, probably par for the course at the moment, unfortunately. Indeed. Now, I understand that I'm, I'm having a few technical issues in the studio here, but uh, uh, oh, right. thank, thank you, John. I appreciate that. So saying uh, Richard Adams and Chapman says, don't airlines always get fined if they present a, a passenger that does not have a valid paperwork for entry? Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I will, I will just say, actually, in the notes here, John has very kindly put so important po points on the last quote from the passenger is that assumption is false terms and conditions dictate. Thus, for Ryanair, the cost of repatriation Creation is charged by Ryanair to the debit or credit card used uh, making the booking. Thir furthermore, the terms and conditions also say that if Ryanair that if Ryanair gets fined for the passenger not meeting any laws or regulations satisfactorily, that too will be charged to the credit or debit card uh, being used uh, to make the booking. So essentially, you become liable um, for that. Uh, so. Yes, that's, that's probably why he's more cross, because he probably, cause he can, mm. you know. Uh, so one might argue perhaps they did him a bit of a favour if he didn't have the appropriate paperwork for when he arrived at the other side. But, uh, well, tell you what, let's, let's, move, let's move up a class now. OK, we, all right. For the next story now, let's, let's, move, to, let's move to BA. That's, this is more like it. Uh, <laughs> this is on the economy class and beyond, uh, dot com website. And it says that British Airways City Flight is to launch flights to Jersey and Gibraltar and trying to ride on a possible release to travel. BA at London City Airport is preparing to launch two new routes. The airline will serve both Gibraltar and Jersey from the 25th of June this year, initially over the summer period, and flying two, uh, two flights a week on Mondays and Fridays. This should be useful for those who are travelling for business, holidays or visiting friends, as well as the all-important cargo. As usual, the routes out of London City Airport will be operated, operated by BA Flyer, the British Airways subsidiary based out of the airport and BA will continue to operate its current services to Jersey and Gibraltar alongside these new London city services. They'll utilise a two-class Embraer A190 on these routes featuring two-by-two two seating in both Club Europe and Euro Traveller on the route. Lead and fares start from just £42 to Jersey and £43 to Gibraltar each way uh, with booking now open for these routes. Uh, Tom Stoddart, Managing Director of BA City Flyer said it's great to be able to launch these two new services to Gibraltar and Jersey. It's something customers have been asking us to do for a while, whether it's for holiday or visiting friends or relatives who uh, live at, uh, at either end of the route. Uh, when the time is right, customers will benefit from direct flights to and from the extremely conveniently located London City Airport. Well, that's a great bit of news, but I can see a couple of problems here straight away, and I'm I don't want to be pessimistic at all. Uh, Michelle will correctly correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no BA lounge at London City Airport, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. There's no lounge, but the the flip side is the fact that they have very um, short um, check-in times there, so actually you don't really need it. I mean, at one point they were giving vouchers, I think, for BA1, which has sadly also gone. But, um, yeah, there's no lounge there. What I was saying to my readers was what I'd do is I'd fly out of Heathrow, which now um, they've announced today that uh, the, all the flights, short-haul flights will stay at Heathrow until the end of October. So fly out of Heathrow, have the nice lounge, and then if you live near London City, fly back into London City, and then you get home quicker and you'll get your luggage quicker as well. So 
Oh, I like it. Yes, that is in that is definitely intelligent thinking. Uh, the only other snag I can see, in, and it does vary from airline to airline, but as far as I was aware, that both London City and Gibraltar are captains only landings, so they're going to have to work out the, the crews and all the rest of it for uh, for, for those sectors. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's great to have an alternative service from Heathrow uh, for those people that uh, live in and around uh, the city of London. Brilliant idea. So moving on to the next story. And um, we always like to, uh, when we're flying on aircraft, like to uh, land at the airport that we're well destined for. But uh, these stories come to us from Unless, unless you are time. Ryanair and you, you claim <laughs> that you're land, landing in Venice when in fact you're... Or an hour away. away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but these, these come to us from one mile at a time. Facebook, aviationsafety.net, uh, Av Herald as well from a few sources there. And uh, Ethiopian uh, Airlines, uh, one of their 737s, has landed at the wrong airport. So an Ethiopian Airlines cargo flight, ET3891, was scheduled to operate from Bowl International Airport in Addis Ababa, uh, Ethiopia, to Simon Mwanza Kiwapwe Airport in Nadola, uh, Zambia. Uh, Instead, the 737-800 landed at the yet-to-be-finished, and yes, I said yet-to-be-finished, Copper Belt International airport the aircraft taxied to the apron where airport construction workers signaled to the crew that they were not at exactly the right airport thus crew then continued to taxi across the apron entered the runway via the next taxiway and then departed again Local workers at the new airport reported that it was not the only Ethiopian 737-800 that day that had attempted to land at the wrong airport. Around two and a half hours after Echo Tango Alpha Yankee Lima, Echo Tango Alpha Quebec Papa, performing passenger flight ET871 from Addis Ababa to Nadola, uh, Zambia mistakenly joined short finals for Nadola's new Copper Belt International Airport. Uh, the crew performed a go around from about the threshold of the runway at around 50 feet AGL and subsequently positioned to the correct airport for a safe landing. On the 6th of April 2021, Zambia's Transport Ministry confirmed the aircraft Echo Tango Alpha Yankee Lima landed inadvertently at the future Copperbilt Airport instead of the Simon Mwanza Kawape International Airport, located 15 kilometres away and currently serving the area. At the time of the landing, the crew was in contact with the uh, Kuapwe Airport, who reportedly they couldn't see or reported they couldn't see the aircraft. I'm not surprised. Uh, a full investigation resulting in a report is going to be conducted. And in a statement, Ethiopian Airlines said that although details of the incident are under investigation, the, the fact there was no no TAM issued regarding the construction of the new airport, which uh, has the same runway heading orientation with the existing one and a close proximity between the two airports may have contributed to the incident. Now, one of the things that amused me when I saw that video was the, the fact that the, uh, air, the um, airport workers, construction workers, <laughs> who, were, who were waving at the, uh, the, the, the crew of the uh, cargo 737, who just kind of just rolled on by and went and just took off and, and left as if, as if nothing had ever happened. I mean, I've got so, so many questions about this. I've got so <laughs> many questions. First, first one, the the one that pops into my head immediately is um, air traffic control. 
I mean, <laughs> surely somebody would have been saying, uh, sorry, we can't see, you. you know. Oh, was it? Right. Because, sorry, what did I miss? Sorry, I'm being told apparently that was seven. It was just like, surely somebody should have been saying before they were getting on the ground, hang on a minute. We can't yeah, see you on the radar. You, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that this isn't the first time that this has happened. So something's obviously not a hundred percent quite right as far no. as communications I mean, it, and things. It, it was concerned. bad enough with the with the, the cargo aircraft that actually did land and and kind of taxi and take off. But I mean, to, for but, it to happen again with a with a commercially, uh, you know, a passenger, yeah aircraft with with yeah. people on now there is actually a picture here isn't there of the two airports i don't know if you want to sort of try and ex- explain this a little bit so yeah so on, on the picture for the for the benefit of maybe the uh this is on the audio podcast but there is a, a picture this comes to us uh, from the aviation herald website simon's great site and this is a google earth image of the uh, area in question so we've got the new copper built uh, copper belt airport which is at the top left hand side of the picture and then the old Kawapwe airport Airport, uh, which is kind of midway, sort of central, but a bit over to the right. So it's about so it's about fifteen kilometres away from yeah. each other. Did did I hear that right when you were saying? Yeah, yeah sixteen kilometres. Sorry, I'm being told. I mean, when you look at the images on Google Earth, there, the new airport does stand out a lot more clearer than the old. Airport. Yeah, I suppose yes. so. And also, but also that <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know what the runway orientation is, but. Looking at that picture, the, the it looks different, doesn't it? Now maybe it is is the same runway orientation, but uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, and for two aircraft to have done it, then clearly there's Something some, quite um, right, is some, it? some thinking to be done. There, isn't <laughs> but it? wouldn't you it thought is. the flight deck crew would have looked out the, the, the front and kind of thought that's no, different? No, no terminal buildings. I don't no. know. Is there a strong argument for saying though that you know perhaps? To a degree, uh, what what is about to fall out of my mouth is probably going to get me shot down in flames uh, <laughs> by our, our even our producer, I think. But do they not look all the same from the air? Mm. Well, I think the thing is that when you're, I don't know if they were doing a visual approach, but even if they were, um, you know, you should if if there's an ILS available, you should back it up with the ILS. Mm. Because it will then confirm that you're on the right heading to the right runway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that there's um, there's some paperwork to fill out there, isn't yes, there? Yes, I think I think some heavy form filling will be required. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll move on to the next yeah. story. Good uh, story for you next, Matt. I like this one because is this it? is uh, this is good news for the for the pilots in the industry. Right. Okay. I do hope you're right. Anyway, so the headline here is uh, United Airlines plans to hire and train. 5,000 pilots, including some with no flying experience. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, So this is coming from several sources. So it's the Seattle Times and uh, UnitedAviate.com. And, and, uh, yeah, so basically the story goes, United Airlines says it will train 5,000 pilots this decade, including taking on applications with no flying experience and plans for half of them to be women or people of colour. So United will borrow an approach used elsewhere, uh, notably at Germany's Lufthansa, by taking people at the beginning of their flying careers and training them at its own academy, which it brought last year. United will continue to draw pilots from traditional sources such as the military, however. Uh, the uh, airline officials began accepting applicants for United's Flight Academy on Tuesday. Uh, travel is rebounding in the US, 
uh, although it hasn't returned to the 2019 levels and United faces a small shortage of pilots in the near term. Last week, United said that it will hire about 300 pilots, many of whom have received conditional job offers before the travel evaporated last year. Uh, The shortage at United and other major carriers will grow more severe in coming years as large numbers of aircraft uh, of airline pilots approach the mandatory US retirement age of 65. It is expensive to learn to fly and gain the 1,500 hours of flight time required for US airline pilots. A commonly cited sum is $100,000. To attract applicants, United said it will offer $1.2 million in scholarship aid this year and more in the future, but uh, most applicants will likely need to borrow against the promise that if successful in several years, they will earn pilot wages at United. United said that the academy students will get a basic licence with uh, within two months and more advanced licences within a year. They would gain experience flying for one of United's regional airline partners and could become a United co-pilot or first officer in five years. United announced its plan that, st- its plan that stressed the airline's um, hope that half the academy graduates would be women or minorities. Uh, groups that are vastly underrepresented in cockpits today. Uh, United said about 7% of its pilots are women and 13% are people of colour. Uh, the United, uh, the airline said that it um, would work with the three historically black schools, Delaware State University, Elizabeth City State University and Hampton University to find and recruit people for the academy. Following the uh, ambitious statement, uh, PR Week highlighted that many members of the public took to social media to share their thoughts. Several people uh, shared concerns about the policy saying that uh, race and gender shouldn't be a factor in hiring policy. Uh, They expressed that qualification should be the key factor. However, uh, United has responded on social media clarifying that all the highly qualified candidates we accept in the academy, regardless of race or sex, will have met or exceeded the standards we expect for admission. Uh, so it's com forward slash aviate dash program dash career dash pass forward slash uh, I, I tell you what we'll put it in the show notes uh, unitedaviate.com it says it's got reminds me of the radio one when they gave out that first ever url wasn't it for so anyway that's the website you need to go uh, to get uh, the details uh, but uh, i think it's also worth noting uh, john's pointed out actually that it's not 100 percent sponsored so you still have to Sort of find some of the fees uh, mm. in order to be able to. Uh, it's still to do positive. What you do. It's a good positive. It, I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a positive story, and yeah. I think any help uh, is is going to be greatly appreciated, isn't it? In terms of getting mm. people back in the air and get, getting qualified to be in the air. So, talking about money, Nev, um, certain airport here in the UK is um, charging more. Oh, it's another fail, isn't it? How how to pee people off? And they've done it again, haven't they? This is on the getsurrey.co.uk website. And it says that a new charge for vehicles dropping off passengers at Gatwick Airport South Terminal will come into force next week. The £5 fee will apply to all vehicles from Monday, April the 12th, except for blue badge disabled holders and airport staff, and is the same as the charge introduced at the North Terminal at the start of March. Gatwick Airport bosses say 
the move is necessary to help protect the businesses and jobs after taking a huge £465.5 million loss over the last year, as well as the loss of 40% of its workforce during the coronavirus pandemic. The charge will not affect drivers dropping off people in the long-stay car parks where a free shuttle bus to the terminal is available. Uh, But there are also hopes that the charge will encourage more people to use public transport and reduce traffic congestion around the airport. Non-essential travel from the airport is currently banned until May the 17th at the earliest, with the government set to announce more updates on the resumption of international travel in the coming weeks. The new charge will be £5 for a 10-minute stop and then £1 for every extra minute up to 20 minutes. It means the maximum charge will be £25 for a half-hour stay. Exceptions for commuters who use the zone to access public transport are also in place. However, these exceptions still incur a £50 annual charge. People can continue to pick passengers up from the short-stay car park and are still charged £5 for a 30-minute stay. Passengers pay online using debit card, Google or Apple Pay, and enforcement will be managed using camera uh, recognising number plates. Uh, for more information on the drop-off charges and to pay the fees for local residents, you can visit the Gatwick Airport website. Well, I would imagine that social media has just exploded on this in the same way that they did at Birmingham, Luton, and I think I'm right in saying Manchester as well. I think charging people to drop people off at the airport is wrong and i know it's all about the revenue and i know the uh, um, the airports have gone through some you know pretty difficult times but i just think it's it's the wrong thing to do don't you i mean i think it's worth mentioning also is it uh, is it stansted it was three pound fifty for you to do like a 10 minute drop yeah uh, and i must have, i must confess i i have done it because that convenience for if so if you're taking for, i mean i i, I obviously pre-pandemic was quite often taking friends to the airport and actually that for the sake of that three pound fifty it, it was worth dropping them off at the door do you know what i mean because it was yeah. by the time you'd parked and all that kind of thing or you've got the the stress of having to i know the long stay getting on the bus thing is 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 okay but there is something about dropping them off at the at the thing and ironically i think they actually get away with it because people will still do it i think people like me will stay will you know they'll still do that drop off just because mm. because of the convenience you know it's uh, apparently Stephen Ivy Ivy is saying in the chat room here uh, Matt you do drops in 10 minutes i take it oh i'm not i'm going to stop reading that uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah uh, uh, Stephen by the way has taken terrible humbridge at my my comment uh, about all airports looking the same it's same he was not impressed i think it's safe to say <laughs> never mind oh well that's another listener gone. Apparently, Cap- <laughs> Captain C- Captain Cruz is saying in the chat room. Apparently, if you take the wrong turn at Luton, uh, it sets you back two quid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Alex Robinson saying I think it will hurt taxis the most. Actually, there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I think probably what all that'll happen is that they dump it onto the they, they 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 just dump it onto the passenger, don't they? So in the end, it won't hurt the taxis. It'll just hurt the. The passengers, Richard Adams is saying, why am I imagining <laughs> Matt's coach on two wheels and people being ejected in the next two minutes slot? That's a, that's a good point. Of course, because when you are taking people to the airport and you're in a coach, you've also got 40 plus cases to offload yeah. uh, to do that. Uh, yeah, Lee Davis is suggesting that we just tuck and roll, uh, that, you know, drive through, you know, open the door, tuck, roll and away. Uh, yeah, definitely the way forward. Uh, or, buy a t- or buy a tipper lorry. <laughs> or buy a tipper lorry. 
Okay, I mean, that's an approach, certainly. Yeah, and on that note, uh, let's move so, on to the next story. Uh, this is uh, our uh, aerospace-technology.com, and the headline is, uh, Japan Airlines retires Pratt & Whitney engine-powered Boeing 777 aircraft. So the flag carrier Japan Airlines, JAL, has retired. Excuse the dog. It's, he, the dog's going to bed. That's why he's a bit excited. Uh, sorry, the uh, flag carrier Japan Airlines has retired its Pratt & Whitney engine-powered uh, Boeing 777 aircraft ahead of the original schedule. The carrier was planning to retire its fleet of 13 777 powered by Pritton, Pratt & Pratt and Whitney engines early next. Next year, the com- the company's name. Well, that's the show title for next for this week, at least. Uh, the, the, the company said in a notice posted on its website, JAL has decided to accelerate the retirement of all Pratt and Whitney equipped Boeing triple sevens by March 2021, which was originally planned by March 2022. Since February, JAL has suspended the aircraft from operations after United Airlines. Boeing 777-200 with its engine type, with this particular engine type, suffered an engine failure. Uh, the aircraft scattered debris across a Denver neighbourhood after taking off. Uh, besides JAL and United, other airlines in the US and South Korea have grounded several Boeing 777 aircraft equipped with said engines. Uh, the uh, engine's power is a small number of older, uh, so the engine's power a small number of older 777s operated by ANA Korea Airlines. Uh, Ace, is it Asiana? Asiana Air, Asiana, Asiana, yeah. Asiana Airlines and Jin Air. JAL will replace the aircraft with a newer Airbus SE A350 on domestic routes. Um, from uh, reports Reuters, so uh, yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's, it was inevitable, was wasn't it? I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, we all remember the story, don't we, of the of the debris landing, you know, sort of on people's houses mm. and in gardens and things. So I guess this is, you know, and I, presumably uh, it was an older engine, and several were were scheduled to be retired soon. So I guess. It sort of makes sense to accelerate. It's just, that, it's just push things along a bit faster. Well, yeah. well, rather than spending money, I suppose on on refitting mm. uh, or whatever, I, I guess it makes sense. So, Nev, you've got the next story. Yes, is this the one about the uh, the meals? Mm. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> this is brilliant. Uh, it's on the uh, CNN dot com website, and uh, Matt's going to bring up some pictures here. I think, and all the pictures are from Nick Senhauser's Instagram, which is at Fly So Plain. Um, and uh, some of Nick Senhauser's uh, earliest memories are of long haul flights and of eating on a plane. With family all over the world and growing up between Austria and Thailand, flying has always meant home to him. He was five months old when he took his first flight. Uh, And so a Proustian connection was made. The little boy was quite obsessed with plain food and grew up uh, sort of flying, growing up, flying grew up in a fully as a fully fledged avgeek. Well, Senhauser, who lives in Glasgow and is used to flying every three weeks or so, hasn't been on a plane since returning from Japan in February 2020. Every weekend, he scrolls through his photos of past flights, picks a meal he enjoyed on board and recreates it from scratch. 
so far, he's made everything from a Japanese omelette to Austrian spaziali and Thai curries, uh, recreating dishes from the likes of Lufthansa, Thai Airways, Austrian and ANA. Senhauser also plates the dishes on genuine airline crockery and presents it as a proper airline meal. He already owned a genuine airline trolley along with airline crockery and cutlery, melamine plates, champagne flutes, retro economy glasses and china plates and coffee cups from various business classes. Most of it is bought online, although he admits that in turbulence, the old spoon here and there has slipped off the tray and fallen <laughs> into my pocket. Uh, the amazing thing about it is that I've actually become a better cook, he says gleefully. The meals aren't just for Instagram to look nice. They have to taste good because they're actually our Sunday meals. Some of the meals have reminded him of major life events. So to celebrate five years since their honeymoon, last month he recreated a meal from his honeymoon flight to New York. Uh, he and husband Graham had flown on Swiss in business and were served spatiali uh, with beef stroganoff and a side salad plus chocolate mousse with a raspberry coulis. Uh, Sennhauser recreated it all from scratch, taking half a day to make it. Well, if you're feeling inspired, Sennhauser suggests starting with economy class meals and trying a Thai curry. All you have to do is cook some rice and make a curry with curry paste, coconut milk and some meat and all you need is a little a nice little dish to put it in and there you go how about that it does look nice it does look quite nice uh, i did do they really look like that they? on the aircraft <laughs> that's the only thing i've done say. an impressive job of that yeah excellent yeah, i don't i don't agree with you there actually i you know i, th I think i would i, I think the I present would. presentation is is amazing yeah no t 10 out of 10 for that certainly no, I definitely um, I'll have to try and uh, get his recipes and think and try something here. <laughs> Absolutely. Rather than uh, rather than uh, yeah, rather than microwave meals, the chef Mike. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But, okay. We're just going to take a very very quick break. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment, uh, and it's uh, military news time in just a sec. He says and presses the wrong button. That was embarrassing. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live, and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. Okay, there we go. Go, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought we were still in the uh, segment piece there, uh, the uh, fill-in bit. Anyway. Um, I love it when everybody's looking blankly at the camera. There we are. <laughs> nothing, nothing like a bit of dead air, is there? <laughs> so, up next then, we would, uh, we would normally have the plain truce, but uh, seeing as we've had uh, snow this week here in the UK, yes, I know, it's just unreal. We've actually had 
blooming snow this week. We decided to do something very topical and talk about de-icing and anti-icing, but we don't really have the time to play out all 17 minutes on today's show. So we'll make sure it airs out in a week and a bit on YouTube. So keep your eyes on the YouTube feeds for when that appears on there. If you haven't seen them there, you can find the playlist with all the Plain Truths episodes on our channel Uh, The episodes are also available as podcasts by searching The Plain Truth PTUK in your favourite podcatcher. So make sure you check them out on that YouTube. They'll be on there. But yes, we have... Can you honestly believe that, Matt? When we went from 24 degrees a few weeks ago and then all of a sudden waking up, was it Monday or Tuesday morning this week, to... uh, to what looked like polystyrene balls. It essentially happened like almost overnight. I mean, it was it was twenty four yeah. degrees, and I was actually sitting outside having my breakfast because it was so beautiful. And then, not even not even twenty four hours later, as you say, in polystyrene balls and all that kind of thing, it was quite it was quite horrendous. Did you get any where you are, Nev? Yeah, quite a lot actually. We had a situation where we had all that going on, and the sun was shining at the same time, which was extremely odd. Yeah, uh, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was certainly chilly. Yes. Indeed, indeed. Strange. Right, uh, let's do some military, shall we? Yeah, mm. let's go. This week's first military news story comes to us from the businessinsider.com. And uh, the headline, U.S. Air Force's new F-15 EX fighter aircraft finally has a name. And I'll tell you what, they've been really, really constructive with their naming of this aircraft. I tell you, they really, really sat down and had a good thought about this. But the Air Force officially rolled out its newest fighter jet, on Wednesday at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, where the service finally announced its name. The F-15EX will be called the Eagle II. Following the naming tradition of the F-15C Eagle and the F-15E Strike Eagle. I see where they're going with the Eagle thing, but it would have been nice to have a different name. Uh, The Air Force put put in its first F-15EX order last July, ordering eight of the jets. Uh, The service says it plans to obtain at least 144 of the fighters uh, to replace the ageing fleet of C and D variants of the F-15s. The F-15 Eagle is an exceptional fighter aircraft, having never been shot down in air-to-air combat. That's always handy. But the average age of the F-15C and D fleet is almost 40 years old. Nearly as old as me and you, Matt. Uh, About 70... About 75% of the fleet is flying past its service life, and 10% of the fighters are grounded because of various structural issues, the Air Force said. The new F-15EX is a two-seater aircraft, though it can be flown by a single pilot. It features fly-by-wire controls, avionics, uh, advanced avionics, including some electronic warfare upgrades and digital cockpit displays. It also has an increased payload capacity with the ability to carry up to 30,000 pounds of air-to-air missiles and air-to-ground munitions. 
While the F-15 is touted as an air superiority fighter, the military has regularly used this aircraft for ground attack missions in post-9-11 conflicts. The Boeing uh, fighter made its first flight on February the 2nd with a test pilot, Matt Geese, in the cockpit. Uh, the aircraft took off from Lambert International Airport in St. Louis and flew for 90 minutes, Boeing has said. So uh, we've got a few comments in the chat room. Uh, Jonathan <laughs> Warner, being our military uh, uh, chap, I think is said here that about uh, it. Surely it should be called the Eagle Three after the Eagle and Strike Eagle. Laura Davis says, "I bet there were a bunch of meetings to get that name too." Yeah, I'm sure there was. Um, Richard Adams, hopefully not Eddie the Eagle. Um, <laughs> hopefully, won't be as unlucky as Eddie the Eagle. Um, <laughs> and there's uh, Miles High says Goose in the cockpit as well <laughs> I like that one but uh, quite rightly Lee Davis says nothing beats the Vulcan and I totally agree with that but I like what they say about the age of the fleets of being 40 years you know which is obviously very young because 40, 40 years is very young um, but that when you look at how it, that is correct but when you look at how old you know some of the B-52s are that are still currently flying you know that's a it's a baby aircraft, really, when you compare it to the age of some of those other B-52s. So, but anyway, I mean, if you say so, it's <laughs> Nev, you've got. Uh, we're moving to Israel for the next story with Nev. We are, and it's on uh, news.cgtn.com, and the headline says Israeli Air Force debuts new spy aircraft. Now, I'm not a military expert, but why does everybody keep talking about spy <laughs> aircraft and things that are secret? I, I've just, it's a bit of a fail because they're obviously, you know, telling everybody about it. However, I shall read on regardless. Uh, it says that uh, Israel's Air Force uh, on Sunday received a new intelligence aircraft that will provide the military with unprecedented uh, reconnaissance capabilities, the, the uh, Defence Ministry said. The so-called Oron airplane landed on Sunday at the Nevatim Air Base in southern Israel after more than nine years of developments by the Defence Ministry, the Israeli Air Force, the Intelligent Directorate, the Israeli Navy and the Israel Aerospace Industries, according to a statement issued by the Defence Ministry. The Oron is based on the Gulfstream G550, a business jet manufactured in the US-based uh, by General Dynamics. Uh, the Oron is equipped with an advanced radar system and data processing algorithms based on advanced data science and artificial intelligence capabilities. These systems would enable the military to generate an unprecedented depth and scope of intelligence in real time in any weather or visibility conditions during routine operations and conflict, the statement read. Uh, Air Force Commander uh, Amikam Norkin said in the statement that the aircraft will enable the Air Force to further enhance its operational and intelligence superiority in the face of emerging threats and security challenges. According to General uh, Yaniv Rotem, uh, head of the Military uh, Research and Development Unit in the Defence Ministry, onboard radar and other systems would stream real-time data to the intelligence units. Additionally, uh, um, artificial intelligence technology would enable automated and efficient data processing. It will produce actionable intelligence in real time, enhancing the effectiveness of the Israel Defence Forces uh, operational activities, he said. 
So a lot of detail there on something which is supposed to be a spy. A big secret. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, as you say, now, perhaps we're missing something between us. It, uh, if Armando <laughs> would, was here, he would be... He would know. explain the reasons why. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There'd be, a, there'd be like an A4 list of reasons why this is... Uh, yes, very important. Uh, perhaps, we'll, perhaps we'll all remember and ask him when he's on next. That's it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Captain Cruz is saying, by the way, very secret. You can even track that tail number shown on the photograph on flight trackers. Brilliant. Uh, as I say, very, very... <laughs> yeah, lovely. OK, I- I'm sure there is a reason. <laughs> I'm sure there is a reason. OK, anyway, right, we'll Max. move on to the next story. Yes, and uh, the headline is... Uh, so it's coming from aviation-report.com. And, uh, yeah, the headline is US Navy places order for more than 11 additional Boeing PA, uh, PA-8 Poseidon submarine hunter aircraft to patrol the globe. The US Navy today awarded Boeing a 1.6 billion dollar production contract for the next 11 p-8a poseidon aircraft uh nine aircraft will join the u.s navy fleet and two will go to the royal australian air force a cooperative partner in the pa p-8a joint program since 2009 the contract brings the total number of u.s navy p-8a aircraft under the contract to 128 and the raaf total to 14 the pa8 continues to be an invaluable asset and these additional aircraft will help deliver expanded maritime patrol and reconnaissance capabilities to the fleet said captain uh, eric gardner program manager for the u.s navy's maritime patrol and reconnaissance program office uh, the pa8 is a long-range anti-submarine and anti-surface warfare aircraft used by the u.s navy it's vital for intelligence gathering surveillance reconnaissance and search and rescue Deployed around the world with 103 aircraft in service and more than 300,000 flight hours, the P-8 uh, performance and reliability delivers confidence to customers operating in an uncertain world. We continue to hear back from deployed Navy squadrons who tell us uh, that the P-8 is exceeding expectations, said Stu Vobril, who is the vice chairman, uh, sorry, vice president and program manager for Boeing's P-8, uh, P-8A program our focus is on delivering the world's best maritime patrol aircraft uh, that only happens when teams truly collaborate listen and focus on customer priorities uh, the p8 is militarized with maritime weapons a modern open mission system architecture and commercial like support for affordability uh, it's the principal aircraft with the ability to detect and track submarines and uh, the aircraft is modified to include a bombay and pylons for weapons it has two weapon stations on each wing and can carry 129 sono, uh, sono boys uh, the aircraft is uh, also fitted with an in-flight refueling system a military derivative of the boeing 737 next generation airplane the p8 combines the most advanced weapon system in the world with the cost advantages of the most popular airliner on the planet. The P-8 shares 86% commonality with the commercial 737NG, uh, uh, providing enormous supply chain ec- economies of scale in production and support. Yes, I suppose it's... So, so, so essentially, that, so they're more or less the same aircraft then, are they? The P-A-8 and the... 
the P P eight A and the the seven three seven next generation aircraft are more or less the same. Is that what I'm reading? Yeah, the same, the same, uh, same aircraft are just made specifically for this particular mission. The obviously the um, surveillance maritime kind of coastal surveillance kind of aircraft. But it's worth noting that the Royal Air Force here in the UK we ordered uh, uh, nine of these. Uh, from uh, from Boeing, and we've had five of these delivered so far here in the UK, um, but we don't call them uh, the P-8A Poseidon here in the UK. We designate these as the Poseidon MRA-1 because we like to be different. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. So the next story comes to us uh, from the aviationist.com. And uh, the Italian Eurofighter typhoons scramble to intercept U.S.-registered Beach King Air during Comlos incident. So two Italian Air Force Eurofighter typhoons of the Aeronautica Militare, or the Italian Air Force, in QRA Quick Reaction Alert Service at Istrana Air Base Italy, were scrambled to respond to a Comlos incident on April 3rd. Uh, the F. Uh, 2008 jets belonging to the 51 Stormo Wing and assigned to the 132nd Gruppo Squadron took off at around uh, 10 past 2 in the afternoon to intercept a Beach B200 GT King Air registration November 130 Juliet Foxtrot on its way from Athens to Zurich, which had failed to respond to the calls of the Padova ACC, the local ATC Air Traffic Control Agency, as it overflew the northern eastern Italy at flight level 260 at 245 knots, heading northwest towards Austrian airspace. According to the Italian Air Force, the F-2000A's uh, the single-seat Eurofighter Typhoon is designated in Italy, reached the Zombie, as it's been designated, the aircraft to be identified as it's dubbed in the fighter community in the area of North Bolzano. Uh, they carried out a, uh, a vid, or visual identification procedure, to ensure there were no emergency conditions uh, or evidence security threats. After the uh, required checks were carried out, the beach had restored radio contact. They obviously popped the fuse or the circuit breaker back in with the ATC and the fighters returned to their home base at Estrana. Uh, interestingly, some more details about the US registered aircraft have been disclosed. The King Air was on uh, delivery from Sydney, Australia to Sao Paulo, Brazil. I wonder what was on board that aircraft. Uh, the aircraft registration is provisional, as it had uh, had been previously reserved, the registration Papa Sierra Foxtrot Alpha Victor. For the second is on delivery from Sydney Bankstown to San Paolo, formerly with the Royal Flying Doctor Service, as Victor Quebec, Mike Romeo Quebec, and is now owned by the Bank of Utah as trustee for Com Export Trading, Commercio Exterior Limited, or San Paolo. Uh, it also has Mark's uh, Papa Sierra Foxtrot Alpha Victor reserved. Uh, com loss events are pretty frequent in Europe and all around the world and often cause the QRA ch- uh, cells to scramble, according to NATO Allied Air Command. Uh, they said that loss of communications of civilian airliners with their uh, civilian air traffic controls is the main reason for the alliance to launch alert fighter aircraft. The vast majority of these incidents are caused by human error. In 2018 alone, the Allied Air Command via the Combined Air Operations Centres 
or CAOCs, uh, received more than 900 reports uh, from the nations about Comlos incidents. Allied interceptors were launched in almost one-tenth of the incidents. Comlos incidents are extremely serious since controllers are unable to distinguish between simple communication failures and potentially dangerous reasons. Hmm. Always worth checking that your radio is working before you set off anywhere. It's actually, <laughs> yeah. it's actually one of the first checks you do when you're um, learning to uh, fly light aircraft is before you do anything is to check your radios are working. Indeed. So, moving on to our caption competition. Now, those of you who follow us on social media, such as Facebook, will know that the last few weeks I've been popping a little picture up on the uh, Facebook uh, page for Plain Talking UK uh, as a kind of sort of just-for-fun caption competition. So this week's picture was uh, a rather interesting picture, um, which uh, depicts... Uh, uh, a young lady hanging by her hands on the edge of an nacelle of uh, what can only be described as a possibly a, well, we'll, we'll just say a um, Captain Jeff's mad dog, uh, for instance. Um, we had a few uh, caption answers left. Uh, Nev, would you like to uh, to run through said answers for the uh, this week? Uh, I will, yes. Uh, I'm not going to identify... All of these people specifically, I'll read out their first names, but that's about it. Uh, Stephen says, uh, Neville escapes the crowd after his latest dad joke. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's very you. Uh, yeah. uh, Bob says, finally got to use my BA voucher. Right. <laughs> I think he's not far off the mark there, actually. Uh, Glenn says, uh, uh, offers three uh, things here, actually. Uh, a new kind of standby seat on Ryanair. Mm. Uh, see, I didn't miss my flight. <laughs> yeah. And the things I do to fly with Captain Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, well done, Glenn. I like those, actually. They're pretty good. Actually, Carlos, is that a JT8D, do you think, that... Uh, Young ladies hanging on to. I don't know. Like it, it. It's quite. It's quite big for a JTA. Yeah, it isn't that actually. It's quite yes. wide. Okay, yeah. yeah, I've nodded off now. Just, just Sorry. for your information. Sorry, we, we're um, <laughs> Ray, Ray says I'm determined to make this flight, and I don't yep. care what it takes. Well, quite yes. Um, Alex says should have paid for or should have paid the extra for premium economy. I mean, again, good, good advice. Yeah. Uh, Stuart says trying to climb up into this big cup of coffee, but there's no damn steps. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, Laura is saying, is saying, when I asked for the jump seat, this wasn't quite what I had in mind. Uh, Nev, <laughs> what's David saying? Uh, yes, David says, uh, this has ruined my hair. Right. <laughs> and uh, Liz says, holding pattern. Right. <laughs> See what she did there? No, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sean says um, Ryanair introduces a new budget class. <laughs> uh, Glenn says uh, I can see my house from here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go on, Matt. You take the last two, Matt. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Brenda says uh, I got this, uh, which I quite like. And John uh, finishes with ex extreme social distancing. <laughs> I think that's my favourite, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme I like that one. Well done, John. Uh, Richard Adams has also offered one. Says next time I'll pay for those Ryanair those Ryan Ryanair peanuts. 
uh, <laughs> uh, going for the windswept look today is also something else that Laura has offered. Uh, <laughs> I'm not reading that one out. Uh, <laughs> That's not happening. Uh, oh, Lee Davies. <laughs> Lee Davies. That's terrible. That one's not going out on air. Very uh, good. Okay. So, there we go. so don't forget to check out the social medias uh, on Facebook because <laughs> I will be putting one on each week. So make sure you keep an eye on Facebook. A special hello to Jacob, uh, uh, who I, I assume is up at stupid o'clock in this morning to to catch the show again. So uh, hello, Jacob. Welcome to welcome to uh, the closing section of the, of the show. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, Carlos, didn't mean to interrupt. Carry, carry on, carry on. So uh, there's another military story that's crept into the fold here. This Has one there? was actually sent in to us by Jonathan. Uh, oh. Who sent in a story which Amanda received about the Turk, and I can see why this one's been given to me, <laughs> at the Turk Yazilri, or the Turkish Stars. Do you uh, do you NF5 think that Mr. Warner team. has possibly sent this to you possibly. especially? I know. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Warner. Uh, on Wednesday, the seventh of April, the Turkish Air Force demonstration team lost one of their pilots, unfortunately, in a training accident. Uh, there's not much information about it so far, um, but we'll probably uh, try and get some more information on this, uh, possibly for a future show, possibly next week. But sad news, always wow. very sad news when we lose a or we'll lose any pilot, but uh, especially a display pilot. Uh, so, yeah, very sad thought of sad news there Indeed. for the Turkish Air Force demonstration team. Indeed, and thanks for bringing that to our attention, uh, Mr. Warner. That was uh, Also, yeah. Nev, there's some breaking news. Oh, drama, yes. And uh, thanks for, to Stephen for uh, sending this news in hot off the press uh, on Deadline.com. Uh, the release date for Top Gun 2 has been pushed back. Oh, again? The release date is now November the 19th, 2022. Is it just... What? Is it just November what, November 2022? 2022! Nightmare. I mean, is it just rubbish? Is that why they keep pushing it back? I mean, are we all going to be terribly disappointed? I mean, the problem is now, the build-up to this film now is so huge that actually when we do get to go and see it, oh, is it actually going to be any is, good? I, I'm not a big Top Gun follower, uh, I, but <clears throat> all the times I've heard about Top Gun, I would have thought they would have been on about Top Gun 6 by now. And th- if they only got up to but Top this Gun will be on Top Gun 20. Well, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Um, so yes, that's uh, that's interesting, and of course, you know the the final. It's these sorts of films obviously work much better in the cinema, don't they? True. Um, yes, you could have them on your four K screen at home, but it, it's not the same, is it? Um, so the, I don't know whether that that's related to it, but presumably it's to do with getting the crew and trying to trying to shoot all this stuff. Oh, Stephen says in, in, in the a, chat room, twenty one, not twenty two. Yeah. Oh, November 2021, oh, so this year. a typo. Surely yeah. not. Possible, possible typo on that. Uh, yeah. uh, well, thing. still, yeah. November the 19th, 2021, it's, it's still, still a long way, away. A bit, a long, long way mm. off, isn't it? If you think about it. So, yeah. Gosh. So, wow. social media links then, before we start to wrap up the show. Social media links, don't forget, we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Search for us on there. Plain Talking UK, if you haven't already. Uh, if you'd like to get your picture featured on the green screens behind me, Matt, or Nev, don't forget you can send your pictures in to us at the show on our WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Don't forget to email the show. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email in next week so we can have a listen and 
speak and stuff send us an email into the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com we'd love to hear from you uh, website if you take yourselves over to all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com on there you'll find all the relevant links to our social medias also you can find on there our amazon link if you're going to do your shopping uh, this week uh, you can click and use our amazon link which i will be tomorrow to get some cat food uh, so uh, you can get that on there there's also the link to our patreon if you want to come, uh, become a patron of the show if you've got a few spare pounds or shillings behind the sofa uh, under the cushion you can uh, become a patron or you can donate via the paypal link on there as well if you fancy that that'd be awesome uh don't forget as well all the relevant links to our guest michelle will be on the show notes for the show as well turning left for less we're going to put all those links on uh, on the show notes for this show if you want to follow her awesome blog and website on there so guys nev what are you up to next week a small amount of driving a few meetings nothing too strenuous um but uh, yes i'm i'm sort of booking things up for uh, may hopefully later on in may as long as we're allowed to get on a plane um so we'll have to see how that goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite matt what's ye up to next week um but not uh so uh i'm on the radio on sunday um but um yeah that's about it really bit of work uh, that's that's probably the uh, highlight really for me bit of work bit of work what are you up to carlos uh busy now we've got a very very busy now we're very busy at the moment with uh with haulage and stuff so it's all very good at work and uh, which is good it's good always good to be busy especially with how the way things are now so but i may well have an office day again on wednesday looking forward to that actually being in my office for a change that'd be quite nice quite novel uh just a quick note before we sign off uh maybe possibly next week uh we may well be having uh andrew back on the show from the plane reclaimers because we may well have a very important note or very important confirmation i should say or a, a notice about uh our 400th show which is happening next year so all being well uh, we'll try and have Andrew back on next week for the show for that all-important announcement on our 400th show. That, as I said, will be next year. So mm. be one to look for and listen to, guys. So, yeah, Indeed. keep your but hopefully, we'll have, hopefully we'll have some details for you next week, basically, on the 400th. And uh, hopefully we'll have the guys as well on next week from the Flight Radar 24 podcast. So next week uh, will be quite a packed show, all being well. So we're going to say a big thanks to everyone in the chat room for joining us this evening. Thank you to everyone who's joined us on this Friday evening. Thanks for taking time out of your Friday nights. Also, not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast. Thank you very much indeed. And don't forget, if you're downloading us through iTunes, uh, we'd love it if you'd give us a little five-star review on there. That would be absolutely awesome because we haven't had one on there for a while and I quite like to look at them. But anyway, that's it for episode number 362. Big thanks again to our guest, Michelle, for coming on this week. Big thanks to Nev. Massive thanks to Matt over in the studio. And a big thanks to Armando as well this week for sending us in the military stories. And not forgetting as well, a big thanks to our producer, John, for uh, doing all the background work uh, during the week for the show. And that just leaves me to say, have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe, take care, enjoy your Sunday roasts, and we'll see you next Friday. Take care. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>